Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in to episode 229 of the Source of Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Source of Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations. It's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental Team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by KSR's own Zach Gagan, who uh, unfortunately was sitting right next to me as we watched whatever the hell that was at Rupp Arena uh, on what? Tuesday night to, to yeah Tuesday night uh, Zach thank thank you for joining us and I'm sorry uh, that you have to be a part of this anything to just hang out with my friend Jack and, and Stephen in the back there for, for you know 45 minutes and I, anything to just do that I, it doesn't matter what happens on the floor for me you know I you're a good liar I I do appreciate that at least um, so yeah Zach we are uh, contractually obligated to break down this loss even though I would rather uh listen to elevator music to hell then uh relive this game um it was terrible 71 68 loss uh, against the worst team in the well they were the worst team in the sec until uh, until this game until kentucky emerged as that number one uh number one spot so yeah uh we were both there side by side let's just you know give them the feel let's give them the vibe of you know the saint peter's side of things where it's like we, we see the inevitable kind of coming down the track and feel like, man, is this actually going to happen? Are, are we really going to lose this game? No, there's no way, right? No, but really? I, we're, the clock's ticking and we're getting pretty close. I don't know if we're – yep, we did it. We sure did. So set the scene, Zach, from Rupp Arena on that miserable Tuesday night. Uh, well, it started out with probably, uh, you know – maybe 30% of the stadium being filled about 10 minutes before tip. Uh, but to Rupp Arena's credit, they definitely filled it out and honestly uh, almost willed the entire team back in. But yeah, as for the actual, you know, once the game got going, uh, it only took a couple of South Carolina made threes for us to kind of look over and be like, yeah, this might not be uh, Kentucky's night. And it quickly got out to a terrible start. I think it was 15 to two, maybe something like that uh, to sure begin was. And then Boo Birds were starting to come out. We heard a couple of those. Obviously, you had the whole Cal to Texas sign thing. Um, but yeah, I, for me personally, I don't know how you felt, but kind of it was in the first half initially where I, I kind of had the feel like, you know what, this I don't think this is going to happen. South Carolina was just hitting enough tough shots uh, to, to keep Kentucky at bay. And Kentucky just had, I mean, even if some of those shots didn't fall, 
I feel pretty confident that South Carolina would have found a way to get the offensive rebound and put it back in anyways for a score. It was just that kind of night. Oscar was talking about it. I mean, he said the word fight at least 50 times in a 10-minute, and I'm not even kidding, it was 50 times in a 10-minute interview talking about how they needed to show more fight and all that. And it's it was clear even from where we were standing that the vibes were off. There was some, you know, maybe some, not necessarily yelling or arguing, but some chirping between some of the players and coaches on the bench. Uh, obviously you had Kaysen's thing where he went out uh, in the game with back spasms, what UK labeled it as. And uh, you know, he didn't, he, if, if he plays and if Jacob Toppin plays, who knows, maybe UK just wins that game easily. Uh, but that didn't happen. And this was still a game that UK should have just easily walked out of, but they had to rely on, you know, guys like CJ Frederick and Antonio Reeves getting mid range jumpers to keep them in the game. So yeah, I, for me personally, it was quick. I felt like this game, you know, especially by halftime, I was convinced that Kentucky was not going to find a way to come back. Um, and when they, when the whole team came out from the locker room and was shooting around and going through the motions, which we've seen a couple of times this year, it, it, it just, the senses, you had the St. Peter's vibe, but you had it well before, you know, the inevitable actually happened. Zach, I think for the first time, um, you know, I, I saw the chemistry issues and the body language and, and those types of concerns, you know, dating back to early in the season and, and just thinking like, man, I, I just don't know if they, they just love each other. Like, I just don't get that sense that they're, you know, huge cheerleaders of one another. You don't, you know, Damian Collins catches a lob and throws it down a guy who needs confidence more than just about anybody on the team. And, and there's not like a rush out to the floor to go, pick him up and give him a hug and go, hell yeah, dude. Like we need that. That's what we need from you. Like you don't get that sense. And that's been an issue for a while. And, you know, but that's just, you know, maybe that's just not the team. That's maybe, maybe that's just not a lot of outspoken guys, whatever. Like you could kind of chalk that up as, as a thing. And then you start getting the bad body language. Then you start seeing the chemistry, like you say, that the chirping back and forth and uh, the weird back and forth with the coaching staff and the players and, you know, the, the side eye from from Jacob Toppin to Cal at Missouri and, you know, those types of things. And you're like, hmm, something feels a little a little off here. And then you get last night where, Zach, um, I think for the first time it kind of hit me that uh, I, I just think this locker room is lost. I, I genuinely do. And I know uh, it's easy to say, oh, well, that's what losing does and those types of things. But, uh, Zach, I think – that team did not have any heart from the opening tip. And I don't know if there's anybody on this team that you can single out as a guy that that you know for certain that the, the uh, heart is going to come from. And, and that's my biggest concern is I genuinely do think the pieces are all there. And we've talked about it just not being a cohesive group. And maybe, you know, it's kind of square peg and round hole type situation where they, they're just not fitting well together. It's not just a, a cohesive unit, but above all else, I just I don't think this team has the heart necessary to to make a run, and that's that's my biggest concern. They went into Tuscaloosa, Zach, uh, last uh, last weekend, and had no shot. They they were absolutely terrified from the opening tip. This was not a situation like uh, out at Fog Allen last year, where the Kentucky team walked into Lawrence. Uh, walked in, in there in Lawrence and, and like laughed at the crowd and said, yeah, I, I like how excited they are now, but we're going to go kick their ass right now. Uh, and they did. They went out and beat, beat them by 30. And, and that was kind of the statement win of the season. And that's where everything kind of kept trekking forward for that team. This team went into Tuscaloosa. First, it started, you know, Gonzaga got run out the gym there. 
the neutral site games that was you know th- those were what they were but then the next you know true road game at, at Missouri the first kind of like okay well it's SEC SEC schedules back you know we'll we'll be able to figure something out and, and all that and they get run off the floor there the mentality is just not there with this team the fight is not there with this team and uh, I, I just don't see how that gets fixed that that that's a mentality thing that's a thing through the between the years thing so uh, if if you know they can be as physically gifted as you want them to be but um, I don't see a mentality fix anytime soon coming Zach yeah I think it's I mean it's it's not a talent issue I don't think I, I mean Kentucky has talented players. I think that we can kind of, you know, confirm, like, they have great guys. Kaysom Wallace is still a future lottery pick. Oscar's still the reigning national player of the year. No matter, uh, you know, what his defense is kind of looking like right now, he still is, you know, at least putting up points and grabbing rebounds and stuff. But, yeah, that clip that Steven played there a couple times, I actually, I I remember watching that exact incident, and it was an isolated thing. You know, that was really the only time I actually saw, like, the actual chirping happening. But you saw Xavier kind of uh, chatting it up with Chin Coleman and Oscar kind of had a little whatever he says right there to uh, one of the assistants or grad assistants. So there's clearly just some sort of disconnect uh, between everyone. And it boiled over in the postgame press conference with Oscar. I'll reference that again, where, you know, he's just he's begging his players to fight at this point. Um, And, you know, Oscar didn't really fight against Alabama. And he kind of, you know, admitted that himself. And um, after watching the tape, you know, he did a little bit better against South Carolina, but even he's still, not it doesn't look like he's still 100% into these games at times um so I don't know if you're about to and and, and I want to yeah I do want to reference that because Oscar I think is the last person right now who needs to be stepping up and saying things like my teammates aren't fighting if they're not fighting then we need to put the the walk-ons in and things like that that's that's something you do against St. Peter's where you have 30 and 16 and you're like dude I am I am dying over here. Can somebody, for the love of God, help me? Because I am alone. I'm on an island by myself right now trying to will this team to win. Uh, and nobody is nobody is there with me. Put in the walk-ons. I don't care. I'll play with Brennan Canada, Kareem Watkins, Walker Horn, and Grant Darbyshire uh, as the, the four perimeter guys while I'm down low. I don't care. Just put somebody in that's going to fight and, and play winning basketball like, uh, you know, like, like me. That's not the case. Oscar Sheway right now is getting played off the floor on both ends. Right now, the 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 blueprint is out. First, it was Mick Cronin at UCLA who kind of create the br- blueprint and said, hmm, we know what his biggest struggles are offensively. Why don't we just attack those? And that's where people were kind of like, oh, he struggles at this, 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 and this. We've talked about that extensively to where blue in the face, uh, what his offensive struggles are. Um with the balls in his hands and how it hurts with shot clock situations and things like that. We don't need to dive into that. And then this past week down in Tuscaloosa, Nate Oates absolutely calls him out and says, we, we saw some stuff on film where we said, oh, uh, he is really, really bad defending ball screens. We could get him in pick and roll situations and absolutely cook him. And that's exactly how it unfolded. So you had Nate Oates attacking him with what the blueprint that uh, this hook'em horns was definitely not on purpose, by the Ooh. way. But that definitely something to, to discuss Those down the road. Uh, but we had, uh, you know, Nate Oates attacking what Mick Cronin kind of solved and exposed offensively. And then defensively, he said, huh, this film shows that he's terrible defending ball screens and in the pick and roll. Let's attack that. And it was Oscar's worst game as a Wildcat by far. Nothing has ever come close to that. And then you have South Carolina head coach Lamont Paris, who – First year head coach. Good. 
good for him. He has a terrible roster, and it's going to be a rebuild of all rebuilds. Thank God he got the number one recruit in, in America because that team would, as terrible as they are right now, they'd be the bottom of the barrel of, of all of college basketball. I mean, they still are, but it's somehow even worse if they didn't have the number one player in America. So God bless him. He has a whole uh, rebuild ahead looking for him. But um, even he at the post-game press conference uh, podium said, uh, yeah, we saw what uh, Alabama did to him. And we were like, uh, why, don't, why don't we just do that? And I, I've been concerned with that and, and confused, Zach, because we saw Auburn do that with um, Walker Kessler, where Walker destroyed him in the pick and pick and roll. And I kind of sat there and I thought, oh, crap, other teams are going to see this and like use that to kill the Wildcats moving forward. Because if you take Oscar out, then what the hell does Kentucky have outside of him? That was my biggest concern. And nobody really capitalized on that to close out the season. So I was like, yeah, oh, you know, maybe they did. But then here comes Nate Oates really capitalizing on that. And now Lamont Paris. So uh, now the blueprint's out. The game plan's out there. You know how to take Oscar Sheaway out the game. And now at this point, I, I'm very concerned. If, if that is, this is such an Oscar-centric team that now that he's getting played off the floor, where the hell do you go? And I, I really don't think – like some people will kind of – you know, reference that maybe Oscar's just not as good as he was last year. You know, his numbers are slightly down. He's actually shooting better from the field, I believe. Um, but if we're, if, you know, if we want to talk realistically about it, I don't think Oscar is any different than what he was last year. Everyone is just like you said, with the Auburn game, that's like something that I was looking back at too. The blueprint has always been there for how to beat Oscar. The, it's just after a year, all these coaches have so much film that they're, they know how to do it now. So it's just, it's easy. It's out there. Uh, there's enough out, film out there. And what's even more concerning is that all these coaches know that UK is not going to do anything differently. And it just seems like they're just going to let Oscar kind of sit out there. Like there was times uh, in the game yesterday where uh, Oscar was just getting beat one-on-one straight line drives, like not necessarily, you know, in the pick and rolls. Like he's just, and, we, and we've known this, he's not exactly quick on his feet. Like he never was quick, quick on his feet last year. Like he's, he's good when he has, you know, the ball in the post and he's got good footwork, but in terms of actually, you know, defending on ball and things like that, and, and just kind of knowing where to be, he, he just, he's not very good at it. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily something that should just kill this team though, because as the coaches should try and find ways to, you know, counter that or put him in situations that can, you know, that are just maximize his ability out there because clearly he is a little slow footed and you have to have him out there. Because if you don't, you're going to get dog walked by 26 points like Oscar uh, Alabama did. So uh, I had a, one other point I was going to say right there, but I forget. So you go ahead. But yes, yeah, so it's just one of those things that when you have Oscar at the podium saying things like that, it's like, dude, there's already the rift. Everybody knows that there's already internal stuff going on. When you say that publicly and throw your teammates under the bus publicly, then it becomes you know, the, the private turmoil becomes very public turmoil. And now uh, all of the concerns that we had, you know, privately the whispers that you hear of, ooh, you know, this guy is kind of concerned that the ball just constantly has to go through Oscar's hands. And that's the reason why the team isn't engaged because they feel that once the ball gets inside to Oscar that they can just tune out and just, you know, eat a ham sandwich and start, you know, like you're, like you're in the out, like T-ball out in the outfield, you know, playing in the grass and, and, you know, playing with all the weeds and, you know, looking at butterflies and all that. Like that's what this team does out on the perimeter because they know once they ball, the ball goes inside to Oscar, he's in no man's land anymore. He, it's a black hole. He'll figure it out from there. So 
now that that those kind of private struggles and, and concerns are now very public, now we have like legitimate public team turmoil. And now uh, that's how you get losses like this. That's, you know, from a talent perspective, this should not have been close. There's a reason that Vegas, who those buildings are built for a reason, thought this was a 20-point spread in favor of the Wildcats from a talent perspective. Vegas was not accounting for uh, how disconnected this team is internally uh, and how, uh, in my opinion, broken things are. I, I don't see a, a positive outlook unless they have this come-to-Jesus moment as a team where we go, look, we need to put all of our differences aside and we need to figure out you know, how to love each other and, and be a, a, a cohesive unit. I don't think this ever gets fixed. I think that we are on track for yet another NIT, if they even make the NIT type of situation. And that's a, a really sobering truth and reality uh, that this team is what we think it is. Like you, you want to think that they'll get it all together and they have the pieces on paper and this and that. But uh, until you get the stuff between the ears fixed, nothing else matters. They cannot get things fixed if they're not engaged uh, on the floor. And that's why everything beyond this is just, you know, will they will they be engaged? If not, they won't have a chance. If they, if they go down to Knoxville uh, and they don't have a, a game-winning mindset and a, a winning mentality, they go in there and, and piss down their legs like they have every other uh, away venue, then they're going to get dog walked. They're going to get beat by 40 points. They're not going to have a chance. And everybody's going to make fun of them. And, and Kentucky will continue to be the laughing stock of college basketball until that gets fixed. Until then... Uh, everything else is a moot point. I think, yeah, the attitude stuff or whatever, whatever the issue is there with them not being totally engaged or with each other, like that obviously has to change. But, you know, if we're, if we're going to assume that this is some, like the turmoil, if you turmoil in the locker room has been some sort of, some sort of a steady decline. And you can even point to maybe the beginning of the season where things were clicking for them. A team still wasn't very good. Um, you know, losing to the Michigan State team in double overtime. Like if that was, you know, when the team was kind of at one of its higher points in terms of team chemistry, like obviously I, I think in the Bahamas is where they kind of peaked at that moment there. But as the season has gone on, they've just gotten worse in that aspect. But the product on the court was never really that great to begin with. So even if they do get things fixed in between, you know, up in here, uh, I still feel like there's just so many on-court issues that need to be dealt with. You know, we finally saw C.J. Frederick get back out there tonight. Uh, they ran a couple of plays for him. He, he was getting some shots going, but, you know, he really hasn't been out there enough either. And uh, it's just you've got all these guys that still just – they don't – it doesn't seem like they fit with what, what Calipari wants to do or whatever he's trying to do out there. So even if they get all this mental stuff fixed, you know, you're still going to be f- focusing on feeding the ball through Oscar – and uh, clearly he's not that great at playmaking from the post. Like when he gets that second or that third double team coming on him, he's just struggles with the ball. So I don't know how you fix some of those things. Damian Collins just hasn't, you know, produced, you know, he's in an awkward or not an awkward situation, but in a bad situation, obviously with what's happened to him. So it's hard to expect stuff out of him. And then you've got all these little minor injuries and things like that. Uh, And who knows if they're injuries or more team turmoil type things. So, even if, like I keep saying, if, even if they get some of these things, the mental things fixed, I just don't see how the actual on-court product or the, the schemes of what they're running are still going to work. Because like we said, Oscar's still getting beaten pick and rolls. And Cal even talked about it last night. He said, yeah, we got we got to figure it out. They played 16 games. 
There's only 15 left in the regular season. Over halfway through. Yes. Over halfway through the season. If you haven't figured it out by now, it, it, and it's like the back end of the schedule is still uh, – the SEC schedule still is tough. Like they have Arkansas to go. Like there's not exactly – like it's a little bit easier, but there's still a lot of hard games. Eight, uh, eight quad one games in those last 15. Yeah. I, I mean, the, yeah. So those aren't exactly, you know, tryout games where you can try and, you know, change things up. I think – unless Cal decides to do like just big flips, like, you know, play Reeves and Frederick together as much as possible. Uh, maybe do more case in at point and less of uh Sadvir on the, like, however he wants to do it to try and change things up. Uh, I think that's the route they should go, but they just haven't shown, you know, and I'm obviously no head coach that they haven't shown any willingness to change so far, it seems like. And when you've got your head coach, you know, saying that, well, yeah, we know that the opposing teams are targeting our best player, uh, and they still have no answer. That's kind of deflating to hear. And then when Oscar was even asked about it, you know, what what's happening in the ball screens, he didn't even have an answer. His answer was, you know, I'm doing what I'm being told to do. And I, I guess theoretically the coaches are telling him what to do. So, you know, who's who's really in the wrong here? It feels like it's probably a little bit of both. You know, Oscar may just not be capable of defending like uh, like a lot of people would like to. And maybe Calipari and the staff just aren't putting him in positions that uh, he needs to be as well. So, it's probably a little bit of both, but with the mental stuff, I think they can fix that because that's just a matter of, you know, you know, airing things out. Maybe if you want to do a team meeting or whatever, you know, I feel like that stuff can get fixed. Um, but I don't, I'm not a believer in any of the actual schematic stuff getting fixed. Uh, there, there was a stat earlier talking about Oscar uh, in, in defending in the, in the post, Um in our four SEC games, Corey Caudill, who has been sensational, really, really good uh, stuff that he puts out. Um, in our four SEC games, when Oscar is not on the floor, opponents are converting 31.6% of their shots at the rim. While Oscar is on the floor, opponents are converting 74.6% of their shots at the rim. 75, three out of four buckets are getting converted when Oscar is defending them in the post. Yeah, numbers don't lie. I mean, I, I mean, it is what it is. Oscar has become, and what a freaking plot twist! I mean, a guy that was the most—it's almost like this mentality that he was just a such larger than life character uh, that everybody just kind of feared him last season as this. Oh man, you know he—he's the most dominant rebounder in uh, you know, which he still is, unstoppable force down low, and and he's you know so physically gifted that. I have no chance of stopping him. There's almost this like scared mindset that other teams had. And it's it's like they spent this offseason going, okay, but how good is he really at these things? Like how how you know how good of a defender is he actually? Like, yeah, he averaged three two blocks and three steals a game or whatever he was, and he was a you know SEC defensive player of the year for that reason. But when it comes to how he plays against length and and the things that actually determine if he's a legit like on ball defender is he really any of that good like and i think teams kind of started realizing that maybe that answer is no and the proof is in the pudding when you have that but you also have a seven foot shot blocker on the floor known as uh, on the bench known as the best shot blocker in high school basketball and the team is struggling in you know on the interior as bad as they are i just don't know how ugo gets no minutes and even like shoot a do theory. Kaysen goes down, goes out with back, back spasms, uh, and the the rest of the team struggling. And you know, a do theory is a gamer. Yeah, he has flaws. He's not a perfect basketball player, but you know he's going to come in there and compete. 
And that's all Kentucky needed against South Carolina. He was the perfect example to play against South Carolina. He didn't get a minute. So it's, it's little things like that where it's like, yeah, uh, mentality sucks. And, you know, I, I think that they've checked out mentally a little bit. Um, but, yeah, like once – if that does happen to get fixed, as you said – it's there's still so many other glaring issues in terms of on court production and who they are identity wise that you're just like you you put your hands up in the air and you're like I got nothing I don't know how you can look at this team and think ah there's the path that that's why this team is going to get things fixed because nothing they've done right now uh, thus far has proven that yeah and I think kind of touching on your point with, you know, teams aren't fearing Oscar. It's, it's not, it's not just Oscar. Like teams just don't fear Kentucky anymore. You know, South Carolina came in last night thinking they could win, knowing that they could win. Like, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, they were lucky. They made a lot of long shots. They were 11 from 20 from three. Like, you know, they won't do that the rest of the year. Like, yeah, that's, that's the point. Like they weren't lucky. They were confident. Like they were taking shots that they were like, we know Kentucky can't guard us doing these like this and this. So just take the shots. If you're there, take the shots. So that's why I don't buy into the fact, the idea that, you know, South Carolina just kind of lucked their way into that win. Like South Carolina outplayed them. Uh, Kentucky, uh, I think the stat I saw, Brandon Ramsey tweet something about, you know, they South Carolina had 57 total possessions, uh, 1.27 or something points per possession, um, which is just an insane, you know, efficiency. Like a lot of those shots were long shots that were tough shots. A lot of those were still tough shots that were open. If you like, even if they're four feet behind the line and a guy like Michi Johnson, even if he is a 30% three point shooter, he's been shooting shots from there all year long. Eventually they're going to start going in. And when a guy believes he's going to, you know, this is kind of a galaxy brain take if you want, like getting into the mind of the opposing team. But when they're confident that it's not lucky at that point, like they just, that's just what they were planning on doing. And, and they just executed the game plan essentially. Um, and, you know, if we want to talk about luck, like, Kentucky had two incredibly lucky shots uh, to beat LSU. So, you know, if you want to flip the luck side there, like Kentucky should have lost to LSU uh, in, in that sense. So I don't buy the luck thing uh, that some people have kind of uh, touted on online or whatever. So, yeah, just uh, overall, the uh, there's definitely something going wrong inside the locker room, it seems, and it's bleeding into the on-court uh, production. Something that certainly doesn't help when uh, rumors of your head coach taking the Texas job uh, become very, very, very widespread and um, not necessarily denied in ways that you'd expect. Both sides technically did. Uh, Cal, during this call-in radio show, said that he hadn't talked to any teams. His focus is on getting this team right, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, everything you'd expect him to say in that regard. Um, and then the Texas AD comes out, Del Conte, I believe is his name, uh, he comes out and says almost the exact same thing, says uh, we have not talked to anybody right now. Our focus is on the interim coach and making sure he's in position to succeed long term uh, and, and making sure that this team is where it needs to be. So um, both sides deny it, uh, but a very credible report from Travis Brandon. He's my guy. He's as, as you know knowledgeable and in, inside, uh, knows, knows the inside look of college basketball better than just about anybody I know. Um, so I, I trust his word when, when he does say that, that conversations have happened through back channels uh, and, and tra um, not Travis, Zach, I, I'm starting to kind of, it's at least a conversation that we need to start having in, in a reality, uh, whether you agree with it, whether you think it needs to happen right away, uh, you know, whatever the, the end of Cal's time here, it's a conversation that needs to happen. He's not going to be here forever. Even if it is, 
this the rest of the season, next season, however many pass that way, it, it's a reality that we need to face. Um, and this is about as, you know, uh, big of a reality as we need to, you know, this for the first time, I think, Zach, I, I feel like this is plausible. And, um, you know, for just your take on what, you know, those rumors overall and, and just what it could mean for the program moving forward. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, it's, I think it's definitely a realistic possibility that he goes there. Um, you know, he can kind of wiggle his way out of uh, Kentucky without, you know, UK having to siphon over tens of millions of dollars if he just kind of ups and leaves. Um, you know, they've got, I think I heard someone, maybe it was on the radio this morning, said that they've got a new practice facility down there too. Obviously the NIL money would be huge. You know, Texas could throw $13 million a year at them if they want to. Why would they want to do that? I'm not sure. Like just from Texas perspective, that's what kind of puzzles me. Like I understand the idea of wanting to bring in a hall of famer um, and, you know, kind of restart from there. Uh, Obviously he'd bring in great recruiting classes and things like that. But, you know, is that really what do Texas fans want to kind of go through? Like what if, if Calipari is probably going to bring the exact same style that he's got going down in Texas, is that what you all want to keep running as well? So from Texas side, I, it kind of confuses me as to why they'd want to pay so much money to that guy or to a guy like Cal when they can go get someone a lot cheaper who's younger and is probably going to bring some, some sort of more modernized offense. And, and, you know, you can probably save money that way and build it up from there. So, so from that perspective, the, the, it's the Texas side that really kind of doesn't make too much sense in my book, but if I'm Cal, I would probably take a long, hard look at the Texas job just because of some of the things I just said, like they've got the more amenities, you know, you get a fresh relation, uh, relationship with the new AD uh, you're probably going to make a little bit more money as well. Um, you know, the fan base is a restart there. So if he's looking for a, a, like just a fresh reset, I think that's the, the the way for him to go. Obviously, if it happens, Kentucky's going to lose four of those five kids. That's just going to happen. I don't think we even have to question it. It happened at Memphis. It would happen here as well. Uh, so the only guy you would keep is Reed Shepard. And then, you know, you'd rebuild with whoever coach comes in you know, maybe snag another late recruit or something and, and work through the transfer portal, which a lot of people have argued is like, all right, well, we can rebuild through the transfer portal. Uh, if you want to keep going and getting Rhode Island kids and Illinois State kids, no offense to Antonio Reeves and Jacob Toppin, they're both really good, but they're not, you know, exactly UK level what we have been expecting. Would, would that not just be where we are right now? Yeah, I think it exactly. would just be a lot of the roster would probably look a lot similar. It would be a lot of guys plucked from other schools, um, that you know we're we're good enough there to warrant a transfer to a bigger school, um, and I think you know you who know, if the coach is good enough and, and they have some sort of you know different modernized revitalized offense maybe it can work, um, but I just don't think there's I really don't think there's a win win situation for anyone in, in here except maybe Cal uh, who would probably have the best you know if he's the one that leaves it, he would probably be the one that comes out you know in the in the winning category if you will. Whereas I think Texas and Kentucky would both kind of be the losers in that end. Yeah. It's either going to be a lot of money or a lot of money and a lot of support or, uh, you know, it just in terms of resources and things like that and, you know, recruiting resources and things like that, it's either a, a lot here or a lot there. So yeah. uh, I, I think my big thing, that, that is true. That is very true. And goodness gracious, that's exactly what we need. Another football school versus basketball school debate once he, uh, should he uh, arrive uh, at well, Austin? Too, like, you know, in two years, Texas would come to Rupp. So, you know, how would that, does like, he want that? Yeah. He want like, you know, maybe he, maybe he doesn't think about that or care about that, but 
boy, if he left and then had to come back in two years, that would be a – you might have to have some extra security presence at a game like that if he just up and left and, you know, abandoned the, the recruiting class and things like that. You know, I don't think that would happen. Uh, I, I, he probably would – you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But he'd probably get some – like a mixed, you know, review or, or uh, emotion from the crowd if he, you know, were to go to Texas and then come back a couple years later. I'm not sure how that would kind of play out. It just all depends, I guess, on how the – separation goes if it all were to happen like i said, i honestly i personally think he's back next year like i think yeah for all the reasons that we've kind of just talked about i don't think it makes sense on a lot of people's sides other than cal um so you know if texas decides to throw the bag i would tell cal to go but if they don't i would say stick it here and just keep you know try it out one more year you've got your uh you know the players that you've ideally players that fit his system better and guys like dj and rob even if they will probably drive us crazy with those, you know, 27% shooting nights, like those are more Cal's guys anyways. And you can see them going for 30 points on any given night and winning games by themselves like that. Um, so my, my only situation, my, my only, so I wrote a feature literally like four hours before tip off before Kentucky suffered its most embarrassing SEC loss in, in, in history. And I had a lot of people, you know, share that tweet, that article again and go, oh, yeah, you're so smart, dumbass. Like, how, how'd that work out for you? I get it. I, I totally understand that. It, but my point still remains. I'm okay with this reality, and I, I'm just making sure fans know and are accepting of this reality that every single top 100 recruit in the class of 2023 is signed. There, there, are, there are no, you know, end of bench four stars. There's no Money. top 60, 70 guys that you could add is like, okay, well – you know, at least we can build a roster with those guys. There is nobody left available in, in, in high school basketball that you can get. The class of 2024 is effing terrible. The worst in probably a decade. It, it is an absolutely terrible recruiting class. So you're not going to get a reclass guy that's going to be your savior in, in that regard. So you can't think of that as a possibility either. So you need to live with the reality that the entire freshman recruiting class would leave. Cal would leave. You would have no other high school talent to go get. And then your entire roster would be depleted and you would have to go hit the transfer portal to fill every single scholarship player that you have outside of Reed Shepard. Is that a reality that you're, are you comfortable being Kenny Payne at Louisville? It, it doesn't matter if you bring in the ghost of Red Auerbach. I, I don't care if you don't have the pieces capable of, of putting together a contender, then it doesn't matter who your coach is. That would be the reality that Kentucky would face. It would be at least a one-year rebuild. And then I still wouldn't be convinced that things would just be fixed right away. Are you comfortable being the lapping stock of college basketball two years in a row? Are you comfortable with a Kenny Payne at Louisville reality where you have to accept that this year is what it is. We're absolute trash again after being trash this year, being trash again next year, and then hoping that Jay Wright or – uh, Nate Oates or whoever, like those guys, say say you go get Nate Oates or, or Eric Musselman, those star talents that they have on their Alabama and Arkansas rosters right now are going pro. So are you comfortable with getting the eighth man at Arkansas or the seventh man at Alabama? Yeah, they just kick Kentucky's ass. I, I get that. Not Arkansas very well may, may do the same thing, but that's not going to build a contender. If, if those are your top of rotation guys, then that's not going to build a contender. If you're comfortable with this season being it, being what it is, next season being just as terrible, if not worse, and then hoping that things get fixed by 2024 and the recruiting you know starts picking up by there, 
maybe they hit home runs. Maybe they find the perfect recipe in the transfer portal and things are glorious and all that stuff. I get that. And if, if that's a chance that you're willing to take and or you're comfortable with having a season as terrible as Lul's having right now, all right, I, I totally support it. And that was the article, the, the point of that article, just saying it's a very uncomfortable reality that Kentucky could have a pretty significant rebuild ahead. Are you cool with that? I personally think that they should run it back and let Cal coach the son of his first one and done and let the storybook finish close out the way that, you know, I, I think everybody is hoping for uh, and, and then figure it out from there. If you want to vet guys next season and it's last year's Cal's swan song, whatever. Okay. Do that. But, but I just don't think that the grass is 100% greener. The grass is not green right now, but I don't think it's that much brighter in, luscious and beautiful on the other side is I think some Kentucky fans are expecting if they just go out and get Jay Wright and think that everything's, you know, a magic wand is going to be waved and Kentucky is going to be back to the, to the glory days. And so I, I just don't think that's a real realistic reality. Uh, and if, if you run Cal off now, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure we UK would ever go into the state that Louisville's in right now. Cause they'll just, UK just invest to, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like you're never, you're probably not going to have a two and 15 or whatever start here at UK, even if, you know, they just all hell breaks loose and things fall apart. Say another nine and 16 year, you know, something yeah. like that where well, you're, you're clearly out of play, yeah. out of tournament. Like, whoever they get, like, you know, even though I just kind of pooped on the Rhode Island and Illinois state tri- type transfers, like if you get the best players from those teams, they're still going to come in and produce and, and Kentucky will win ball games. And there's enough NIL money that they'll get some recruits, you know, unless they go out and hire, like, you know, or make like, you know, what's a, like a former Kentucky, if, unless they do something dumb like Louisville did and not to say that, you know, Kenny Payne's a bad coach, but the only reason that Kenny Payne is the coach there is because he played at Louisville. So unless they decide to, you know, go out and get Rajon Rondo and make him the coach, which I think people suggest for reasons I'll never uh, you know, understand, that's the only scenario that Kentucky would ever kind of delve into that sort of situation. So, but it would be bad uh, for Kentucky standards. It would be, you know, maybe a fifth straight year, fifth or sixth or whatever you want to call it of just, you know, maybe even, you know, not, not winning a game in the tournament or just missing the tournament entirely. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a be careful what you wish for type thing. Uh, obviously things are just, they're not going good right now. They're maybe two or three more, maybe honestly, maybe just one more bad loss away from the season being literally over. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I still think that there's ways that they can bounce back and, and, you know, you pick up a, a, a key win here or there over a top 25 team. I think they're going to be right back in the thick of the NCAA tournament race. But right now things are obviously not very good, but I think with the the class that Cal has coming in, um, you know, you're probably going to lose. I would, I would guess you're going to lose guys like Oscar and Xavier and, and, and guys like those, so you'll have, he'll have to hit the portal again and go out and find more guys to kind of fill out those roles. But you know, the the point or the the backcourt situation is one that he's actually kind of got locked in with uh, Rob and DJ coming in, and even Reed if you want to throw him in there. Although I think he might be more of a year two type guy, but yeah. So I think just you you got to let it play out a little bit still. Uh, I don't think you can run a guy like Cal out of town right now, um, and. You know, it'll happen any year with whatever class Cal has. Like, whenever he leaves, he's going to take all the guys with him. But I think this is a class that you definitely want him to try and play with. Uh, like I said, the 24 class is really bad. Uh, Ian Jackson keeps going on other visits and stuff like that. So who even knows what's going on there uh, with him? But I think you definitely got to give him one more year. And then 
just kind of see where things go from there. Oh, yeah, that, that's the, it, it's just a, a reality. Are you comfortable with with a reality that could lead to a multi-year rebuild? That's my only question. If, if you are and if you're ready for a fresh start, I totally understand that. Like, I, I'm not even faulting you if that's your if that's your mindset. I just don't want you assuming that things are going to be just, you know, Kentucky's going to go hire, you know, whoever. I'm not getting Jay right. Not yeah, if you go get if you go get uh, fill in the blank, Nate Oates, just don't expect things to just be magically better. Next season, and in Kentucky, going to be a, a title contender from year one. I just think it's an uncomfortable reality that's a really crappy timing uh, all across the board. I, I don't think that long term, every top 100 recruit in America is going to be signed to open the early signing period. Like, when's the last time we got an Andrew Wiggins or a Julius Randall press conference announcement in the spring? You know, th- those type of things. That would be something you'd be okay with because you could at least have some time, three, you know, a couple months to you know, make up some ground and get guys like that, or at least, you know, top 30, top 40 kids, whoever. I don't think that's going to be permanent. I don't think every kid is going to be signing in the early signing period forever. So I I just think this is a a worst case timing scenario for Kentucky. And I I just hope that you could get past all of that and figure it out after next year's next season. And if maybe things get fixed by then, I I don't know. I just, uh, uh, better be careful what you wish for is all is all I'm saying. We we gotta uh, start wrapping this thing up very quickly. Uh, previewing t- Tennessee, uh, the uh, Volunteers are set to retire Chris Lofton's jersey uh, in Knoxville. Do you have any hope for the Wildcats uh, on the road? Oh, uh, that's just that's brilliant trolling from Tennessee. I'll give it to them honestly. I don't know if they. I'm sure they did that on purpose, but that's that's a one trolling. Like I gotta give it to him retiring Chris Lofton's jersey because I feel like uh, Tennessee is gonna do. Uh, a lot of Chris Lofton type shooting and they're going to, they might win that game by, I think we're, we're probably in store for another Alabama type situation. A lot of it's going to depend on, you know, is Casey Wallace. Okay. What's Jacob Toppin's situation. Uh, like Kentucky has to have those guys. Like that's still two of their five best players. You, two of the, yeah, I'll say two of the best five. You need those guys. Like you just have to have them out there and need to be playing at least as close to 100% as you can. And if you get, if you get, Maybe one of those two guys, I still don't see. Like, you have to have them both for this to be a competent game because, let, let me tell you, they're going to attack Oscar. Tennessee's going to attack Oscar all the time. They're going to keep doing it. Uh, so I think one of the biggest things I'm just going to be looking for is, does Kentucky do anything differently? They haven't all year, so I'm not exactly – well, they haven't made wholesale changes at least. So I'm not exactly, you know, privy to believe that they're going to make any big changes uh, heading into this game. Um you know, I think it's just going to be going back to Oscar. And I don't, I haven't done a deep dive on Tennessee, but I don't believe they have like a big uh, lob threat guy like Alabama did with the seven footer. Uh, so maybe things might be a little bit easier kind of starting out the game um, against Tennessee. But ultimately, I really think that their crowd's going to be juiced. They know the situation here. Um, I don't see Kentucky going in and pulling off what they did against Kansas last year. Uh, this is just a completely different, you know, situation and team and all that. So, Tennessee will probably win by a lot. I think the the spread will come out and they'll be maybe a double digit point favorite. Um, it's just it's not it's not a good situation going into this game. And then you've got Georgia on Tuesday at nine p.m. Uh, next week in Rupp, which is going to be brutal. Uh, not only to cover, uh, you don't have to feel sorry for us, but just for for fans that are going. I'm curious to see exactly how many fans actually show up. So. Yeah, I don't. I do not have uh, a lot of faith going into this uh, uh, Tennessee game. 
Yeah, my thing went out. I got a call. So, but my bad. Can you hear me? Yep. Perfect. All right. Yeah, let's uh, – I am equally as uh, concerned as well. Definitely not uh, overly optimistic about how things unfold down there. Just, again, see it to believe it mode for sure. Um, let's move on. We will not be in Knoxville. We will actually be at the Hoop Hall Classic uh, the, in Springfield, Massachusetts. Very excited for that. Zach, uh, where uh, – who? what are you excited to see up there? And uh, is there a, a recruit or two that you're excited to see? Well, four of UK's uh, five signees, current signees, I guess we should start prefacing like that, you know, with this whole Texas thing, but current signees are going to be up there. The only one that won't be there is Rob uh, because of his OTE stuff. So uh, even Reed will be up there with his uh, very injured North Oral team. I don't think that's going to end up going well for them. Sure will. Because <laughs> they're missing a lot of their like secondary players that Reed really needs. And he's kind of just playing with a bunch of, you know, regular high school players right now. So that'll be interesting. But, uh, you know, DJ and Aaron, uh, they'll be playing up there as well. Uh, you'll have Justin Edwards um, playing. We, we'll get to get uh, – I, I have the list right here. There's a couple of different 24 kids that will be there. Like you've got uh, Ian Jackson will be there. Um, Boogie Fland, who's a, a, a guy who's been – it feels like just shooting up the recruiting rankings of late. Uh, those are both you know, two really big guard prospects that Kentucky's been on, and we've been able to watch them already as well. So it would be nice to get to see them again because um, it's been probably since Peach Jam, I guess – uh, since we've really had a real good look at yeah. a lot of these kids. So like with Ian Jackson and uh, it looks like true Washington is going to be there too. Shout out to Ty Ty. Uh, yeah. So Boogie Fland and uh, Ian Jackson, they got Isaiah Elohim, Derek Queen, um, just a couple other guys that UK's kind of made some, uh, you know, small contact with. So uh, there's a lot of really good games that are going to be on. I believe they're going to be on ESPN. Uh, a lot of things will be on baller TV too. So if you uh, want to shell out whatever, you know, $10 fee they have. I would definitely suggest because there's going to be a lot of really, really good talent up there. Uh, Jack and I will definitely be bringing a lot of recruiting coverage with, uh, you know, how's uh, your commit or your commitment level with Kentucky right now? There will definitely be a lot of that. We'll kind of, you know, see if we can get any sort of feel from the recruits as to what the coaches are kind of telling them maybe about how the season's going and uh, hopefully get a little bit of a different perspective and kind of see how they're feeling things from their lens. Cause I'm curious, honestly, to kind of know how a guy like DJ, if they let us talk to him or, you know, Aaron is, is feeling about how things are all going down there. Yeah. Very much looking forward to that. We will be leaving Friday and back on Monday. Uh, so make sure that you are tuned in. We'll do a bunch of these uh, either rapid reactions or, uh, you know, the different podcasts, whatever, uh, we'll definitely uh, be keeping you all updated. A lot of good stuff coming from there, Zach. Let's get the heck out of here. Where can fans find your work? They can find me, as always, on the beautiful website called KentuckySportsRadio.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at ZGagan, KSR. Gagan is, oh, it's actually right here. You can see it right there. Gagan, G-E-O-G-H-E-G-A-N. There's no E at the end. Steven. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Uh, at Jack Pilgrim KSR, reach out to v, v, reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com With that, we'll be back next time. A lot this weekend for another Jam Packed Sports Say podcast. We will see you then.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.